Well, we got a great one for you here on the Roaring Twenties podcast. Carl Taylor, the current head coach of the Milwaukee Admirals and a former Reading Royals head coach, is our guest today. And Coach Taylor had the chance to join us for about a 20 or 25-minute interview and in what was one of my favorite interviews that we've done so far. And Coach Taylor brings a special perspective as his time in Reading. That was his first head coaching experience as a pro. Previously, he was working up in the uh, Canadian University Leagues, University of New Brunswick, the Varsity Reds is an historic program up there that he took over and he was one of the very best coaches in Canadian university hockey before coming to the Royals where Derek Clancy helped to facilitate him coming to Reading when Clancy moved up the ranks to the AHL and the Manchester Monarchs. Before we go any further, of course, season flex and group tickets are now available for the Royals 20th anniversary season, which is expected to start at the moment in the fall of 2020. Royals have announced their home schedule. And obviously, since we last chatted with you, news of the ranks uh, higher above the ECHL, the AHL officially canceled its season. That's almost a month ago at this point. And the NHL uh, has a framework in place that they're hoping will allow them to restart the 2019-20 season and they'll pick it up with the playoffs. So the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs, the 2014 bracket. We don't talk to Coach Taylor about that, but he does touch on that in the end about how he has been impacted by this news with the National Hockey League. So we're going to toss it to Coach Taylor again. Buckle up. This is a fun one. A lot of fun memories of the greats that came through during his time in Reading. Former Royals head coach Carl Taylor, one of three members of the Reading Royals head coaching lineage to have at least 100 wins, took the Royals to the playoffs in two of his three seasons and coached some pretty notable names while with the Royals that ended up advancing to higher levels. Now the head coach of the Milwaukee Admirals. We'll start with kind of the news of the last few weeks. Congratulations on winning the Coach of the Year award. How do you think it all came together for your team uh, this season to have 41 wins and, uh, you know, do so well in the American Hockey League? Yeah, I think when you uh, look at the process, uh, Scott uh, Nichols, my GM, we both came in together. Scott's been with Nashville for a number of years, but uh, this is his first year as a GM two years ago. I think it started with the groundwork in the first season. We're trying to get the culture and the environment we want to have here, uh, the personnel we wanted. We went through a lot of bodies in the first year and getting things set up the way we wanted it. Um, so credit to uh, Scott and the management team bringing in the proper people. And then we had a successful first year. And then this next season, obviously, a lot of things went well for us. But it's also comfort level. Like both uh, myself and Greg Rallo moved here from Austin, Texas. Uh, it was later in the summer. There's a lot of uh, movement, a lot of things happening that kind of get you off your uh, – don't keep you on the straight line as much as you'd like to. So getting your family situated, all those types of items that – uh, we have to worry about. So I think this season, just everything came together. Uh, we had a great group of guys. The players played excellent. They were very easy to coach. And obviously that, that leads to, uh, you know, me being recognized for Coach of the Year, which is a great award. But I see it as a – we all say it's a team award, and I really believe that this year, especially with us not being able to finish the season. I really believe the uh, – it's a real remarkable reward for the team and something – I mean, you don't have a chance for playoffs. So obviously you've got to have a good record to get this award and so our team's very proud of it it's interesting you mentioned it too just because you know for so many years 
uh, in between, I should say, not so many years, but a number of years in between where obviously you were with Chicago, you were in the WHL with Portland, and then in Austin, like you mentioned uh, before this, now your second year with the Milwaukee Admirals. Just a, a couple more on uh, on that. How did you feel it was after you know stepping away as a head coach but being an assistant coach for a number of years, and then obviously you step back in about seven, eight years after becoming a head coach, what were some of the uh, challenges you found that maybe you feel like you've overcome over the last few years in being an American Hockey League head coach rather than an assistant coach? Well, I'll be honest with you. I've been a head coach probably two-thirds of my career, but you are correct. There's, I think it's uh, six or seven years when I was an assistant coach, and uh, I think it was one of the best things that happened to me. And uh, I don't think I would have done it by choice. I would have liked to move from Ontario to a head job in the American League. Um, but becoming an assistant coach for a number of years allowed me to take a step back and kind of watch some other people work, but also um, learn how to communicate in different manners and, and really build relationships. And that's kind of what I brought forward this year, the last couple of years. So coming into this job as the uh, returning to a head coach position, I was very comfortable with it. I don't think the challenges were... Uh, where many from the viewpoint have had lots of experience doing it. Um, until you become a head coach, every assistant coach in the world wants to do it until they have to do it, and you have to make that big decision. So um, I, I was very comfortable with it, uh, very uh, easy transition because I had done it for a number of years, but I felt very well prepared because of being an assistant coach for a few years just to round out myself and feel better about uh, the process and um, how I wanted to go about my business with the new opportunity. And talking with Wales head coach starting 05 to 2000, and over those three years, over those three years, coach, we mentioned at the top a number of uh, uh, excellent players that came through Reading. One of which that became the head coach soon after you departed, which was Larry Corville. You had the chance to uh, obviously to coach Larry, and um, also to now watch his career develop into nine years in Reading, where he won the Kelly Cup. What was he like as somebody that you coached way back when you took over in 05-06? Yeah, that was a big step for me coming into um, the first year with the Reading Royals. I definitely understood the game of hockey, but I didn't understand pro hockey and how the league operated. And it's a massive job, as you know, all the things you have to handle and take care of. And so having Larry there, and Larry was uh, transitioning a little bit uh, from player moving into other uh, positions. And so he played for us at the end of the season a lot because we were very uh, shorthanded. But obviously, Larry's gone on to do very well for himself, uh, winning a Calder Cup in Reading and having the career he did there as a head coach. I know he works locally now and, and runs uh, the arena and the Meyer hockey program. So he's doing very well. Larry and I still talk. And uh, just an outstanding individual. Uh, I, I, will, I will tell you, uh, having him as a player late in that season, we were a little uh, short on roster, which happens a lot. And all season, I just remember Larry telling me, use me, use me, you've got to use me more. And he'd always give me the shoulder check. And uh, you know what? He proved me uh, proved, proved himself right at the end of the year. He had a great finish, uh, even though we uh, lost in the first round against Wheeling that season. But he did push hard at the end of the year and had, had played some very good hockey for us. Before going into maybe any of specific players besides Larry um, that have really helped shape Royals history, Jonathan Quick comes to mind, Doug Christensen, who's obviously now a head coach, uh, among a few others. I think it's really interesting because, you know, now that we're hitting 20 years in Reading, it's something that 
in this league, quite frankly, it's it's almost unprecedented territory in that, you know, only South Carolina, Johnstown, Cincinnati, these are the teams wheeling that have been in the league uh, and played at least 20 seasons in their city. And now Reading, hopefully once the pandemic uh, becomes a little bit clearer in terms of what the plan will be for next year, Reading will hit that milestone. And uh, I, I would ask you to reflect a little bit on you joined the Royals right around an important crux time, year five through eight in the organization's history. And what would you say made the Royals uh, a, a special place to be at that time in your three years as head coach? Well, I think uh, coming into it, uh, just to reflect, the first the first game uh, I was part of in the Sovereign, I don't know what it's called now, but it was the Sovereign Center back then. Anyways, the uh, the arena was uh, sold out. We played Trenton, and Rich Peverly scored in overtime to get me my first pro win. So that's a great memory, and the fans were very passionate. Um, a great, great fan base. We always had a great crowd in that arena. Um Gordon Kay was our uh, president or general manager of business operations, and so he, he did a great job during that time with promotions and worked very hard at his job to get people into the building to support um, us on the hockey operations side, and uh, we worked well together. I, I think it's it's uh, it's a special place from the viewpoint of um, the players that have gone there. They go there for a real purpose. There's uh, a lot of American League teams close by, a lot of opportunities for these uh, players to get called up and have uh, quick access to American League teams. And I know that was something I pushed hard in my recruiting um, was the opportunity that was presented to them. So I think Reading's uh, been around for a very long time. He's had lots of people and lots of local support. you got to think of, you know, uh, Vince James and Rich and Tammy Kristoff, just people that are part of the boosters for years now and really focus on supporting the group and supporting the team. So um, I think that's part of the special part of it, but it comes down to the people that have worked within the organization, but also the fans and the players. Wheeling is the only traditional rival left really for the Royals now. Back then when when you were in the league, obviously there was teams that were a little bit closer I, I guess and you know you had Wheeling you had Johnstown and Trenton uh, now Wheeling is the closest opponent and then I guess Adirondack formerly of uh, the AHL is the is the second closest but more specifically on some of those uh, those rivalries if you have any good memories we'd love to hear them but going into a building like Trenton or going and and playing Johnstown and Wheeling what was that like back in the quote-unquote old days of the of the coast <laughs> well I'd say uh I would I, I would add Almira to that. We had some big dust ups with that team back in the day, but I would say uh, Wheeling was a very good team. They were always very competitive. They had a close relationship with uh, uh, Wilkes Barre and, and the Penguins. So we had some close games. It was always toe to toe, and they had some big, strong kids. Like you know, you look back at Bisonette playing there. He's gone on to do his stuff with the Spit and Chicklets and what have you. And, um, we always had big battles with Wheeling. Johnstown was another one. You can ask, uh, look back at the Mike Saligan and Mike Sagro days and those <laughs> two guys hooking up uh, quite a bit. Trenton, we never got into it too much. There was always that rivalry. It was probably more before I came in. I know they switched to ownerships and it kind of changed gears a little bit when I was there. Uh, but then when Steve Martinson uh, was in Elmira, He's uh, been one of the best coaches at the AA level in the history of the game, lots of championships, and he's always had 
big, hard teams to play against and heavy teams. And um, I, I would say him and I, we had lots of battles, uh, not personally, but the teams did. And I would say if you look at that playoff series in the first round on the third year when I was there, I think we only led in the series for 23 minutes and we ended up winning it four games to two. But every game was one nothing, very close, very contested. We had a couple of uh, little me- melees during the season that probably uh, people will remember of us playing against Elmira. I think you're exactly right on the number, by the way, that it was really, really uh, slim in that 08 series. The first round against Elmira is still one of the best, the best playoff series in Royals history. And uh, Pat Richards, who was our color commentator at the time for that series, he's still here in Reading and uh, now going into year 17 or year 18. I might be misquoting there, but he's been with the organization since the start. And he remembers that in that fifth game this uh, against Elmira the Royals won 2-1 in overtime and Brock Hooten scored the winner before then the next night the Royals won in double overtime with Kevin Surrett scoring but Charlie Kronschnabel at the end of that second period picked up the puck on a turnover by Joel Martin the uh, Elmira goalie that killed the Royals for many years do you remember that goal that he scored in the final second where it was off a turnover and it maybe helped change the complexion of that game I, I do for sure. It was the, the the teams were so close, and they had a great power play. Um, it was a very contested series. It was very very close. Either team could have won, and uh, I think I think uh, Brock School might have been a shorthanded overtime winner. If I'm if I'm remembering correctly, I'm pretty sure it was shorthanded potentially uh, in Game Five. I know. Uh, Sauces, Kevin Surrett's goal in double overtime, who uh, he's running a tier two junior league up in Canada now, the Manitoba Junior League. He's the commissioner now. So lots of people have gone on to do uh, more things in uh, in hockey. But I just remember in between periods, because we we're, we alternated that series. It was one home, one away, all through for seven games. And so both buses were outside. That was, that was the talk. I remember going into the second overtime. It was, gentlemen, can you hear that? that's our bus started i would like to turn it off let's get this done and uh, we we scored pretty quick I, if i remember correctly it was off a face off and uh, we want to draw and sauce just ripped it in the net for the winner yeah, on that on that double overtime goal yeah it was right at sort of that net front i think off just a, a mini scramble that we found the highlight a few uh, i think it was a year ago or a year and a half ago at this point and uh, the Royals did win that playoff series against uh, Elmira. But earlier in that season, in 07-08, the Royals had an opportunity to have the player that still comes to mind first as maybe the best goalie in Royals history, certainly the one that's gone on to have uh, the most success of any of the goalies that have come through of Reading at the NHL level with two Stanley Cups, Jonathan Quick. Where were you when you found out that Jonathan Quick was going to be joining the Royals at the start of the 07-08 season? Yeah, I, I still remember it because I knew he was joining us and it was planned probably throughout the season just get him up and running. He left school early. He needed to get used to the pro game and get some uh, get some volume of games under his belt. And they knew he was very athletically talented. Obviously, he's gone on to prove that. And, uh, you know, he's a great young man. He came in, he played great for us. Just needed to get a little structure in his game. And I thought Billy Ranford and Kim Dilbo did a great job working with him, the LA Kings. Uh, supports uh, the goalie staff and really helped him move along. He actually 
if I remember correctly, he played a game in Buffalo. I think they won 8-3 or something, the Kings over Buffalo, uh, in some wild game he played when he got called up. And, um, you know, we were, we were kind of hoping at the end of the year that we might see him back. <laughs> but we knew he had earned the right to move on. And uh, the, the craziest part about it was we had no goalies eligible. We ended up flying um, – Jesus, first name, Taylor. I'm drawing a blank. Anyways, we ended up flying him across the country uh, two or three times to get him eligible. Um, to It was Danny Taylor. That's yep. who it was. So he, we, we flew him across the country because he had to play and back up in L.A. because they had huge backup issues. And then he had to fly back across the country and dress and sit on the bench just to get eligible for playoffs. And then he played great for us in playoffs. So um, obviously Quickie would have been the guy we wanted number one, but uh, Daniel Taylor did very well, but you look at the goalies that have gone through there, even just through my time. You know, Daniel Taylor's had a great career. Jonathan Quick, Barry Brust, Fuku Fuji. Think of all these characters that came through the goalies, and uh, there's always a lot of turnover in that position. But uh, Cody Rakowski is another guy who was uh, a mainstay in my first year there. So lots of big names that helped us uh, protect the net. That's for sure was just talking about it with uh, our our team store manager today, Greg, who uh, was here in those years, and he said that he remembers developing the goalie U shirts at some point um, with all the names that had come through. What's been your approach as a as a coach throughout your career? Uh, how, how do you deal with goalies? Is it hands-on talking with them, joking with them, or is it kind of let them do their uh, <laughs> let them do their own thing and work it out in their minds? Um, I, I, I worked hard being in the East Coast League um, you don't have a goalie coach there all the time and uh, as well as in Canadian University so you, I felt I had a little bit of a, a weakness there so I studied the position hard uh, when I was in Reading and also in Ontario trying to learn from Billy Ranford and Kim and just to understand not, I didn't want to teach them technically how to do things but I wanted to understand what the thought process was so I dove into it pretty hard um, in the American League, we have people that handle it full on. So uh, we we worry. I know here we have Dave Rook as our development goalie coach, and he does all the communication with the goalies. Uh, Dave and I talk all the time, uh, but he's doing all the tactical stuff, and I just worry about the mindset and the uh, uh, the, the areas that I focus on is just them being ready to play and what, who's going to play and those types of things. So um, for now, it's we have specially we have a goalie coach who works with two guys so we let him do his job and then we worry about our stuff but we still have lots of conversations with the goaltenders obviously it's a very important position and it's a position where you got to have it obviously this year we were fortunate enough to have two great guys and we ended up winning the the award for the lowest goals against in the league when you decided to um uh, or i shouldn't say when you decided but when the royals obviously the affiliation was lost with the kings and uh, you ended up going to ontario at the time um, how difficult was that for you having been in a city your first pro opportunity for three years and having a decent amount of success making the playoffs a number of times and going deep once in the playoffs to uh, make that move out west uh, to a new organization essentially a new organization uh, but still under the king's leadership yeah it was a tough thing to chew on and uh, when i look back on it who knows what was right or wrong you try to take every all the information in uh, and speaking with uh, Gordon Kay, who's my local uh, boss with the Reading Royals, and then speaking with Ron Hextel, he was my boss in L.A., and going through the process. It just came down to thinking that you're going to be a little closer to the Kings 
you're going to get a little more access. You're going to be able to um, attend some more games, be around their organization a little bit more, and just be a little closer to um, some of the management coaches and maybe be able to become part of that organization a little deeper. So that was part of the enticement. Obviously, California is a beautiful place. Um, and the opportunity to have an expansion team was really enticing. You're starting from the ground up. You're able to put in the foundation and the building blocks that you're looking for. So those are the things we kind of look at. But number one, it was mostly based on um, just getting closer to the parent team, uh, building those relationships, and trying to become uh, a little a little more long-term vision for myself personally, uh, looking at the opportunity to uh, move up or to grow in the coaching game. You mentioned the, uh, you know, all the boosters up, up, up top. Where you mentioned, you know, the Kristoffs, which are still involved, and uh, you know, Vince James, and uh, people sometimes overlook how important those relationships are when you're in a city, and how that can help you grow as a person by, you know, meeting people that help to support the team or support you. Um, those connections that you made in Reading, who do you still keep in touch with? Who do you, who do you remember maybe besides a few of those guys? What were some of your favorite places to eat in Berks County when you were here? Uh, so we, we uh, the, my time there, we, we actually, uh, we had a young family and we, uh, we rented, uh, we ended up renting in the, uh, a small community right, right next to a older couple, Willard, and uh, Doris Snyder, who are just outstanding people. So uh, they became very close friends, and uh, they loved our young kids, and we got to know them very well. So we, we're, we're still in touch with Doris to this, to this uh, day. And I've been back when I was scouting the one season. I would zip over to visit and get to see them as well. And then mostly it's, it's uh, Gordon Kay, Larry. Uh, I still stay in touch with Vince on uh, texting here and there. Uh, obviously, Derek Clancy's involved in hockey, and he uh, facilitated the move for me when he was leaving and going up to Manchester. Mm-hmm. So uh, those are the main people that I stay in touch with, uh, and uh, the people that uh, I just met. What was the uh, what's the peanut bar downtown? I remember oh, going to the, the, uh, the yeah, it's just the the peanut bar, Jimmy Kramer's peanut bar. There you go. So that, I remember going there afterwards and uh, enjoying that place and a few other spots down there so but those are the main people and uh, uh, we have some really good memories it was a young time for our family and and an enjoyable time as well before we let you go here uh coach taylor we'd ha- we'd be remiss to uh ask as well what's going on with you how's the how's everything been because this has been an, a difficult time for for a lot of people but how how are you how's your family doing uh throughout the course of all this uh, uh World, world news, we'll call it. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a very interesting time. Um, the pandemic and, and, and the, uh, the uh, protesting that's going on, all these things, all very important issues. Um, our family, we're just outside of Milwaukee. We are uh, in an area uh, close Lake Country out in Heartland. And so we're about 25 miles west of Milwaukee. And we're still here, and we're just uh, trying to follow the guidelines by the National Hockey League and, and also the government to, you know, stay home orders and be smart about how we're doing it, just like everyone else is trying to manage life and make good decisions for their family. Uh, but the, the hard part for everyone, I think, is the unknown. No one knows what the future is going to hold as we move through this season and move towards the fall. 
So it's, that's the hard part. We all want to plan. We want to plan. Okay, I want to do this. We want to go here. We want, and that's the most difficult thing I think for everyone is just trying to stay safe, stay healthy, but also not having that ability to plan. And, and uh, that's that's the complicated part of this process. So you have to try to just stay in the present and, and uh, manage life as you can and focus on what you're trying to do um, today and don't look too far down the road. But for us, with the season we had, obviously we were looking for a playoff run. Um, nothing we can do about that, right? The season got uh, cancelled and, and uh, we're going to move forward. We had a great year. Uh, if the NHL gets going again, and then uh, if we need to go there to assist and help with some of the, our players moving up there, then we will. Um, but, you know, I just hope everyone out there is staying safe and making good decisions and, and uh, just Follow, follow all the all the guidelines we're getting from uh, from uh, the experts out there because it's it's difficult to make good decisions, but hopefully we're making most of them.